spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label guys and the end spoken label back in the house on a sunday afternoon over to great sankey today and this young gentleman i've got with me we're working out before i first met him over tonight i used to co-run with the great jaffer armor and that was more than a few years ago. We weren't AG for ourselves, but we'll say it was a few years back. And he got in touch with me because Jeff put him in contact with me last year for the night I cover and speak easy on Zoom. And we're going to get him down to do a set for us probably next year now in person. And it's great, Terry Cafferty. Now, Terry, obviously people who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them, obviously, yeah. where are you from? And what started you off your creativity? And you've already told me two, three great stories already before we started recording. So I'm looking forward to this, mate. Yeah, lovely to meet you again. And after such a, such a long time, the days and the weeks, they literally do fly by. I mean, I've, so, I've just told and explained to Andy that I'm actually years old, which does make me old. But yeah, we met many, many years ago when, when it was really prolific to get out onto open mic sets. But you can probably tell from my accent that I come from a, a beautiful little leafy fishing village originally in Liverpool called Toxted. A dead sweet, pretty little place. Um, born in Wavertree. And then I moved out to a, another beautiful little leafy fishing village in Liverpool. Because as you know, Liverpool's full of leafy little fishing villages. A place called Speak. And in both those areas, you had to be kind of like tough and able-bodied to grow up. You had to be good at fighting or good at football. And I was dead lucky because I was I was pretty good at both. I was a great at football. I was a good fighter, but all my mates were tough. So um, I sided with all the hard cases. Came through school, an all-boys school. Failed absolutely everything. Failed me 11 plus, which was an exam. Failed me 13 plus, which was an exam. Failed me blood test. Actually got through out of school when I was 15. Um, failed everything. And to think now that I'm a poet. I mean, when I was at school, I couldn't even spell poet. Now I are one. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, you, you were telling me off mic before, briefly, I want to know more about this before we start today, 
at one point you were a footballer, weren't you? So I was, yeah. I mean, my dad played for Aston Villa. Both my sons, Christy and Liam, um, one played for Man United and one played for Stockport County at young, at young levels, 16 and 17 year olds. But I, I played for Tranmere Rovers and for Berry and for Port Vale. Then I was in the forces and I played for Germany. I played for the Royal Air Force. I played for a team called FC Arsbeck in Mönchengladbach in Germany. So, yeah, football. Football's where I've met all my mates, Andy. Football's where I've kind of, like, developed interpersonal skills and social skills and community skills. So I, I owe my life to football and poetry. Brilliant. Yeah, I can see that we did before everything started from there originally. So now obviously people obviously you've alluded already and you did some time in the service the service at the armed forces after that. Yeah. And we're not gonna talk about your destroy how you met your wife. That's a that's a very funny story, <laughs> but we'll leave that for you to tell people in person. But in relation to your creativity then, were you that sort of writer? Were you writing when you were very young? Would it come a bit later on in your life? Yeah, no, it's it's like this will sound a bit cheesy. This now, it's 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 the Liverpool or the Scouts mentality, and I'm not saying it's it's only in that region that it happens. But in Liverpool, there is a a need for everybody to talk a lot, to think a lot, and make jokes out of lots of things. So I think that was just in my DNA, just being a talkative person. And then I realised it's one thing to tell a story; it's another thing to write it down. And so. My background was just like growing up in gangs and sort of tough areas with tough people. And then I realised, well, I can write all these experiences down. And it was me dad. My dad was called Francis Cyril. Francis Cyril Caffrey. And he came over from um, Dublin with his best mate, Mick McCabot. And um, I think it was me dad who kind of like encouraged me to, he just used to say, Write it down, son. Write it down. And he never criticised anything at all. And a lot of people aren't ready for criticism. And why should they be? And my dad just used to point at the work and he used, just used to say, I like that. I like that. I like that. He never said, write it again. You spelt this wrong or put this on or change that or move that. He just said, I like that. And so that always encouraged me to write more and more and more. So I think I actually started writing from about the age of 17 or 18. And then I won the Bridge Arts Award when I was 18, 18 and a half, which was a poetry competition about the Runcorn Bridge. And it was set in witness. So I'm winning it. I thought I was on legs made flying then. I thought ah. every, every poetry competition I'm going to enter now, I'm going to win. And of course I didn't. I won quite a few, but yeah, that was that was the starting time for me with my dad and about 18 and 19 year old. Really? No, that's... That's a great story, that one, indeed. So, now, obviously, you've been telling me obviously a lot. You do a lot. Of, you've told me about how many schools you've taught in over the years, and mm -hmm. I, I want to tell you tell people about the next guy. It's an incredible amount. It shows you how good not say performance, it's how good you are with people and children. You told me you've performed at hundreds of schools, haven't you, and taught there as well. Well, this and again, this will sound like I'm a little bit conceited, but I'm not conceited because you're far from that, mate. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm just, I'm so used to saying it, but it, and introducing myself like I have an oral CV. I've worked in four and a half thousand schools. I've been writing in residence in 30 or more prisons, 
20 young offenders institutes, 10, 15, 20 referral centres. And, and I've worked in every establishment and organisation in the community as a partner, right, that you can think of from libraries to museums to sheltered accommodation to care homes, um, all of those places. I've won something like eight literary awards. I'm the Northwest of England's first author reading champion. I've been writing residence with the Halley Orchestra for 25 years at the Bridgewater Hall. I take the Royal Ballet, the Welsh National Opera, the Liverpool Philharmonic. Been writing residence at England's National Football Museum. Been writing residence at England's National Coal Mining Museum. Been funded by Roald Dahl for like 20 years or more. And blah, 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 blah. I'm so used to, to, to kind of like quoting all that and saying to people as like some sort of backup to, to what you have to... When you're giving a little bit of identity about yourself, you have to, to like back it up with figures. So I'm so used to saying it. And... Um, which isn't bad for a, for a boy who, who, who couldn't spell and didn't get any sort of certificates or anything. I came back from Germany um, out the Royal Air Force and I couldn't get a job and because I, I, I'd never read a book. I was 29, never read a book, um, never won anything academically. So I could not get or pass an interview. So I had to go back to night school at 29 and I had to learn how to read and how to write properly. And um, I took a GCE, an English GCE, and I fell in love with Shakespeare. Shakespeare didn't know I fell in love with him, but I fell in love with him. And as a consequence, I took a GCSE. So at the age of 29, 30, I got my first GSE and I like him for, for Shakespeare and, and the classics. And then I just kept writing and writing and writing from that area. I actually went to school at the same time as um, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, nine o'clock. Wow. Wow. Now, I, I, got, I might have got you there, Andy. I might have got some of your listeners as well. But the joke is I went to school at the same time as John Lennon and Paul McCartney. I got it. I got it. <laughs> nine o'clock. Want to think about that, guys? So I'm going to say no comment on that one. Definitely brilliant. Like so I've been looking forward to this one for a while with you. Definitely that. So now, obviously, the people are not obviously again don't know you. Now I've got to ask you. Obviously, you have done one book, and and you've done Sanu on, on Amazon for easy fan. You've also done a number of self-published books as well. Yeah. Obviously, tell people about the one book I found before then, which was it wasn't me, Miss, which was. You said it was published by Authors Abroad, didn't you, did that one for you? Published by Authors Abroad, yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's targeted children from the age of six to, say, 12. Um, and it is, it is a beautiful book. Um, beautifully composed and, and, and put together. Now, unfortunately, this is an audio-only podcast one. Terry's now showing us the book, and it does look bloody excellent. <laughs> it, it is, and that's one of my sons on the front. And Oh, it's one of your sons on the cover? Oh, wow. And i got another son on the back there. Oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Inspired by my lads, um, and the title of the book was, was actually inspired by Arlene, the younger of my sons. I went. It was a parents' evening at um, his school. And he, he was playing football for Man United. So he always had a ball to kick and to juggle. 
And I was sitting in the car park. I got to the meeting early and I'm sitting in the car park and I'm looking straight ahead and I see my son come out of a door from the school and he's kicking and bouncing the ball and juggling it. And he kicked it. He just whacked it after a while. He booted it really hard. And it flew into the car park and it hit the window of one of the cars and actually cracked the window. And as that happened, another teacher came out of another door, walked over to Liam, started giving him the big finger, telling him off this, that, and that, and that, and that. And, that. and I'm watching this happen. And then I seen Liam put his hand behind his back and he said to the teacher, it wasn't me, miss. It wasn't me. <laughs> and I thought, what a great title for the book. So, And he goes, it wasn't me, miss. It was him. And it wasn't him. It was her. And then she said, I did it, miss. I didn't. So I wasn't even there. <laughs> so that's where that book come from. And the book yeah. is, a, it's, it, it, it's a great gift to give to somebody, not in a pretentious way, but if they're really aspiring or enjoying poetry at all, my book is that accessible. It's just it's just funny and happy to listen to and to read. So it's easy access to it. And it's something, you, it's a legacy you can leave. It's like a testament. Yeah. I think we've just lost you, Terry. One second. Still here, right, right, yeah, got you, Matt. Just knocking off connections yeah. on my side. There we are. That should be that's better now. Okay. It froze in for a second. So brilliant. Now, when my voice is rotten today, now you were telling me before I was off mic about writers abroad as well. Like you know, I know you've done some work with them before yeah. as well. So tell us about your involvement with that then next. Well, first of all, I'd say that he's a great friend. He's a great mate. His name is Trevor Wilson. Um, and he's the owner and CEO of a poets agency called Authors Abroad. Now, there's another one entitled Authors Allowed, who are also a very, very good agency. But Authors Abroad are like the premier poets agency. Um, they, they, they find your work abroad as well as in England. So what you do is if they like you and you like them and you both have something to offer each other, as the case was with me, they signed me up um, and then the friendships and the relationships built to a degree. Now, I've probably with them, been with them, I think, about 10 years. And basically what you do is they know who you are and you can present them and they'll find you bookings they have a staff of about six or seven um, telephone staff in the office who are constantly phoning agencies and festivals and schools and saying, listen, we've got such and such a poet. It may be really well. It's and comes to you as who he is. This is what he or she does. This is how much it'll cost. So it's, 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 a, it's a great um, booster for anybody looking for work, and it's a good motivator because it just it forces you to write and, and stay on top of your game, and because you're as good as the last place you went. So, you know, if, if you have a crap or a nap day and someone says, oh, I didn't like, everyone's saying that Andy North is great, great fella, great this, great. But if you have a bad day, the moment someone says, 
I see them and I did like him. He was rubbish this and the other. So you, your forces there on top of the game. So with authors abroad, they book you into this. They pay you. They find you accommodation and everything else. And um, they also print books for you, which you pay for. And you come to a, a deal with them. They might take half the price of the book. So you might be going into school with 50, 60 books ready for sale. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, when you worked with them, where did you go abroad? Was any was he, any stories that really stick in your memory about going abroad with them? Well, yeah, I mean, the best, the nicest one is I worked in um, Saudi Arabia at the Dubai Children's um, Festival, the Children's Poetry and um, Story Festival. And I had a week in Dubai in one of the biggest hotels there and was flown over by, um, I forget what they're called now, the, the, the Arabian Airline Company. But they were flying me over for a week and I had like five days in the festival and I had two days in schools in, in, in Dubai. And I thought, well, it might be nice. I'll just try this one. And I asked authors abroad if I could take my wife with me, Jackie, and they said, we'll let you know in a couple of days because it's quite an expensive trip. And they phoned me back and, and they said, yeah, you can take Jackie with you. So I took my wife over to Dubai. Wow. And we were in this, yeah. Wow. They they paid and they, they said, yeah, you can take her, but we'll pay for her. So they paid for her flights. They paid for the accommodation. I had an interpreter with me for the whole week. I had a taxi the whole week wow. and they had a tra- I had um, somebody who, who, who knew the venues and places that we were going to so I had a little team of three people working and following me all the way around and I went into Dubai schools and then I went into a Dubai centre where they would where this festival was just open plan and there was little slots all over the place for different performers and writers and, and I was also in I was in Vietnam a game abroad, they sent me there for a week, sent to Cambodia for a week. Um, fabulous. I went on my own there. Um, I've seen I went to I went to Jordan. That's right. I went to Jordan as well on my own. My wife came with me again to Vietnam and to Cambodia. That was a week in each, and that was just phenomenal, phenomenal land. The experience was amazing. But I went to Jordan. And this is reading poetry. People said, how are you going to understand your Scouse accent, Terry? But they were all British. They were all British-speaking schools. So there was never a problem. So even though there was Audi kids and Vietnamese kids and all that, they were so, so switched on to an English accent that could pick basically 90% of what I was saying pretty easy. So I went to Jordan. Um, I swam in the deep. In the Dead Sea, I saw the um, the monuments of Petra, and this is all through poetry. Wow. Um, I'm getting bookings from all the world. I went to Germany and I went to America. So yeah, I've done really. I'm ever so grateful to them and done so 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 well for myself in, in the poetry and all that. And one of the biggest. I mean, it sounds like I've just come out to blow me you know, on trumpets. Suppose they have in a way, but. I I I I don't I write songs. I write some of the opening songs, Olympic Games, but the kids were singing, 
some of the ad orchestras playing the songs while the kids were singing the Olympic Games. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest achievements I've never really, really I, sometimes I can't believe I did it, but um, do you know the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester? I do indeed, mate, yeah. It's next door to the GMEX Centre. It's the it home indeed. of the Halley Orchestra. And the Halley Orchestra are in the top 10 orchestras of the world. And um, they asked me to narrate Peter and the Wolf for them. Because I've been writing residence at the Bridgewater Hall for 25 years, poet in residence. So they know me really well. I take the orchestra, I get them to write poetry and perform that. So they trusted me. But I don't read music, Andy. I don't read music. So we had an audience of three and a half thousand people in the main hall, because that's what it, that's the allotted numbers to get everybody in on seats. So in the main arena in the Bridgewater Hall, there's three and a half thousand people. I don't read music, but I had to read script narrate. So I had to really familiarize myself with when the music stopped. And my voice started and when the music began again. And I had to read the story in between all these intermittent bits of music. So I'm placed on the stage in front of all the people. And I'm looking directly at the conductor. So he's playing music and then he's looking at me and he's just about to keep nodding his head and going, go on, sir, you're in now. Go in, you're in now. And it was like an hour's performance. He's just watching him and taking a chance to narrate and read the story at the proper time. And it worked the treat. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely. I don't read music. I write, I've written songs, and mm. but I, I, I would sing them. Um, but I don't write music and I don't read music. I've, I've written lots of songs for lots of different artists. And um, I would sing it to them and then they would pick it up from there. But th- this was something special. You know, to work with an orchestra of the thirty musicians on stage, and to be reading and narrating Peter and the Wolf while they're playing continually to an audience of three and a half thousand—that was quite phenomenal. That. Oh God, yeah, completely, mate. Now, brilliant, brilliant, absolute superb, mate. That one, kudos to you, definitely that one, mate. Brilliant. Now, how's things been for your lockdown then? Obviously, like I know you're obviously such, you're such an active man, like you were. I know you've been doing bits of teaching nowadays, haven't you? But have you been managed to keep that going over lockdown? Did you? Well, funny, funny enough, um, as we said a little bit earlier, I'm actually working tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, at a special needs school in Rice Lane in Liverpool. But not as a poet. I'm, I'm working as a teaching assistant. So I'm actually, and I, I would advocate this to anybody who, who's got good interpersonal skills. You, you don't have to take on the, man, the mandate of a teacher. But they're looking, teachers' agencies are looking for teaching assistants. Now, I'm sure you've been into a lot of schools, and without being disrespectful to teaching assistants, most of the time, the jobs are pretty easy to do, where you line kids up and you take kids for dinner and you might just be cutting or tracing or reading stuff, reading books to one or two kids, or you might get asked to do a smaller particular task with a group of people. So I, I've started to become like a professional um, teaching assistant now. 
getting in touch with agencies who are finding me work left, right, centre. Now, it only pays like £75 a day, but if you're getting two or three of them a week, there's £150, £200 a week for being a teacher's assistant and actually working in the classroom. So answering part of your question, yeah, I, I when the schools were closed, obviously there was nowhere to go, but I stayed fit and all that, um, or as fit as I could. Because uh, I had cancer, I, I had... Um, cancer in 19, 2019, I think, yeah, where they found I had cancer in my arm and they had to um, cut five inches out of my arm and cut all the lymph glands out to stop the cancer from getting around my body. So I still go for checkups on that. So that's something I'm, I'm aware of all the time. And I had a, a main uh, burst artery at the bottom of my nose where I lost five pints of blood. And that was in the last two years. Um, that was just from a bad nosebleed that they couldn't stop. And then they realised and found out it was a burst main artery, so they had to operate and stitch all of that. My voice is actually gone, and um, I don't I, I don't breathe. I can't breathe through my nose anymore because oh, of all God. the work they did inside my nose. They cauterised it, stitched oh, it, took bits out. So I have to breathe through my mouth. So I'm talking to you now, and I'm breathing my mouth. I use that air and... And then I suck in again because I can't breathe at all through the nose. And sadly, that's affected some of the poems where you have to reach different notes in your voice. And I can't get them anymore. And, and I could get them two years ago. So it's something I had to give up. But I try my to read and breathe a lot better so I can perform and share my work. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. What plans do you have for the future? Do you have anything lined up at the moment? Any, any big projects on the go? Um, I started work last Friday for an organisation called um, Livewire, who are Warrington. No, they're not. They're not. I think they're northwest of England based, not just Warrington based. And Warrington Borough Council asked me to would I start running a poetry group. I told you, I, I'm pretty proactive. I've, I've been like that all my life. I, I can't sit down and do nothing. So I'm always trying to flog myself or find ideas. So I came with the idea of finding a venue, hiring the venue, and then bringing, advertising that I was going to run some writers' workshops there and trying to get a call group, a nucleus of about 12 different people to come along each Friday afternoon and um, pay me two or three pounds um, for the privilege of coming to him. And I was going to set that up, but then Livewire found out I was available and they've set it up for me now. So I'm using their premises on a Friday. And I've done the last three Fridays where I have a dozen ladies and gentlemen over the age of 50 who attend my poetry classes. And I'm just applying to the art council for uh, a grant to sustain it. I mean, Andy, there is so much work outside. When I used to be Warrington's arts officer, I used to phone day centres up and offer them the opportunity of, of having different people come visiting. And 
like I found the prisons, I found Risley Prison, which is the closest prison to me, the education department. And I said, I could come into prison on 12 consecutive Monday mornings and run creative writers poetry workshops in your prison. Are you interested? They would say, yeah. And I said, well, this is what it costs you. And this is the end product. And this was what we'll achieve. And they were always happy to take on activities, but it was, it was just targeting the right people, getting to speak to the right people, because you can send emails as often as you like, but they very rarely ever get to the right person. So use the telephone, see who you need to speak to, and sell them the idea of being a poet that can get other people inspired and motivated and enthused to write. And then you tell them how much it will cost them, and all of a sudden you've got a contract drawn up and you're working again. Yeah, brilliant. Now, I see you're such, you're such a good, positive person to speak to, Terry. I've got to say that, mate. So it's worth everyone, like I said, nice. definitely, definitely speaking to you. Now. So he's like, you're that sort of guy, and that's what I liked about you whenever it's been years ago. You've got that sort of aura about you. It's positivity, and it's definitely yeah. it shows you you're an excellent example of how you can make money, not just for the sake of making money, yeah. but making money that gives you a sense of pleasure when you're doing what the work you're doing as well. So Excellent, mate. Now, that's unfortunately covered pretty well all my questions I want to ask you today. So we'll let you do the big plug now. If people want to find out more about you, Terry, where are the best going? It's, it's well, again, it sounds a bit pretentious, but you, if you Google Terry Caff, this is another, this is a great thing. It's like, if you, it's one thing to tell people you're a poet. I've had T-shirts made up now, man. It says I am a poet. Have you really? How fantastic! <laughs> and I put my name on them and all that. And I have these. I wear these badges. Yeah, everyone's poet. wondering that says poet again as well. Just to make everybody aware. Brilliant. All over the place, and I'm happy to tell people I'm a poet because you don't you don't meet many poets in, in real life, but invariably say, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I say, well, Google Terry Caffrey. And the moment they Google, there's, there's 10,000, 20,000 hits. If you Google Terry Caffrey, you can see dozens of videos, hear dozens of poems. You can see, and I've never put anything on, on the website at all. Everything that's on the website about me and nicely, which is really nice. It's come from other people who are saying some wonderful things about my visits, my poems and all that. So everything on there is legitimate. And as soon as they Google you and they find out that your face <laughs> fits, fits the name that you've just given them and they realize, yeah, you are a poet. So anyone who wants to find anything out about me can either get in touch with me and my addresses and emails and phone numbers are all over the website. Or just Google me and get in touch with me through Authors Abroad or stuff like that. Really? And yeah, I could definitely, definitely recommend it. Go, it is. go definitely any, recommend it. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. And go anywhere, and Go anywhere. Any organisation, any age group, any size group, any ability. It doesn't matter. No one ever gets left out. No, I can believe you that, definitely. So, right, well, that's covered everything like I said before we're going to talk about today. So I want to take a quick break now and let Terry come back and read some of his poetry out because he came, I obviously, when I said before, we spoke to Richard about 12 years ago and you came on to speak easy last year and you blew me away, you did, and I thought, oh, yes, you're, <laughs> you've brought a lot of good memories back So I want people to hear some new material now. So we're going to let, take a quick break and let you get as much in as you can for the second half, mate. So well, it's, been, you, it's, been, 
been tremendous, mate. Cheers, Andy. Are you talking like a five or ten minute break? No, just all we're just going to do is stop this so everyone knows. We stop okay. the recording, let you get composed. Yeah. When you're ready, we hit the record button again. That's all <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's always like, like it's in the recording, people are always wondering, first time listeners. It's basically when I had to stop it now, when I cut, in case it gets clicked straight back on after a, a few seconds pause, and you can hear Terry from his work. So, see you all in a minute, guys. Spoken, mate. Hey, guys, still here with Terry, the magnificent Terry. So, over to you, my friend. I'm looking forward to this. Poetry! You've got spoonfuls of rhythm. You're mixing your beats. You stir it up with your fingers. You're pouring your feet. You blend a little music. You're throwing a rhyme. You heat them all together because it's cooking time. You're going to bake it. You're going to make it. Your cheese and cake. You get the pastry right. And don't you flake it. I'm going to wrap it. I'm going to snap it. I found my finger time, you're gonna clap it. Will you crack in an ooh? You sprinkle an ah, a pinch of yeah, you're taken out from a jar, you're tossing a rhyme, you fry up a mind because of you and me, girl. You know it's cooking time. You're gonna bake it, you're gonna make it, your cheesy cake, you get the pastry rice and don't you flake it. You use a sprinkle of A, mm, 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 mm. a cupful of B, because of you and me, girl, we're cooking poetry, so you take out an M. You peel me a wow, it's simmering up, so don't you let it burn out. You're gonna bake it, you're gonna make it, you cheese the cake, you get the pastry rice, and don't you flake it, a finger licking your lips. Mm, 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 mm. I break a dance in your hips. You throw out the pips. Roll away from your jaw. Build up the verses once more. Let's go out through the door. You're gonna bake it. You're gonna make it. Your cheesy cake. It's because of you and me, Andy, on a Sunday afternoon. And you're sitting on the web and you look oh so cool. Yeah, listen to poetry. It's about, Absolutely tremendous. Oh, wow, mate. Brilliant, that one. That, that's definitely such a good example of where you were, that, mate. Definitely with that one. So brilliant. Brilliant, <laughs> mate. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I think you said you were going to do what, two or three for us, didn't you, as well? So I forgot, I forgot what we agreed on now. <laughs> it's a typical me. But over to you, mate, for your next one. I had a, a great mate of mine was a fellow called Peter Orton. He played football for Preston and Wigan. And when I was 17 and 18, I used to go out with his sister. And we got on so well together. I absolutely adored her, really fancied her. And my intention was to take her out one night. Her name was Carol. And I got to her house, knocked on the door, as was arranged. We were going out that night. And she only opened the door about two or three inches wide and spoke to me through the gap in the door. I said, are you coming out for the date? And she said, no, I'm not. You're choked. It's all. <laughs> you're choked. I said, why is that? And she said, because when I was coming home from Liverpool on the bus, I heard all these girls upstairs on the bus talking about you. So I thought, blimey, you can't get away from me. <laughs> oh, that's one way of getting dumped, man. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the poem's called over. And it's getting over boyfriends and girlfriends. 
What we had, I know, is over. But I am so not over you. I'm like a duck without a quack. Should be the jill for the jack. I'm like a horse without that. I'm missing you most every day. Should be the ice for your cream. The snow inside your dream. I'll be the patch for your pirates. Aha! The cannons are fire, it's kaboom. I'll be the bullseye hitting, the heart that gets smitten, the lips sadly bitten. I'll be the ball of wool kitten. I'll be your motorway home. Brum, 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 brum. I'll be the ring on your phone. Hello, Teddy. I'll be Marvin when he's grooving. This old heart of mine, it's moving. This old heart of mine been broke a thousand times. I'll be the buster for your rhymes. I'll change your nickels into dimes. I'll be the ginger for your Fred. You're camping out inside my head. I'm like a temp pig that is battered, broken hearted, broken shattered. What we had, I know is over, but I'm so not over you. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies aren't always blue. I miss the lies between the thighs. Can't see the rainbow in the skies. You are the rose and the thistle. Ouch! I'm clocking off. You are the whistle. Woo! Woo! I'm like the ball without a bounce. Boing! The tiger learning how to pounce. Look out, Teddy. Look out, Teddy. Look out, Teddy. I'm like the one that got away. I'm missing you most every day. I'm like the poem that gets written. The carpet that needs fitting. I'm like the fizz without the pop. The till ringing in the shop. Ka-ching! I'm overlooked, you are the view. And when I look, there's only you and you are the web and I'm the fly. The salted tear that starts to cry. The break of dawn, crack, that shapes the day. Tornado blown, whoosh. I'm blown away. I'm overlooked and overdue. But Carol, I am so not over you. Mm, 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 mm. Thanks, Sand. Really, it's like a, it's got like a blues riff to that one, definitely. That <laughs> <laughs> really, oh god. Uh, did we agree in three today? I can't remember. We said now, Terry, actually. Well, uh, yeah, that'd be lovely. That the last one yeah. is all the poems are kind of like contrast as well. This this is more of a listening one. This is this is a mental health, mental awareness one that I am. Um, I've, I've been fortunate to look enough to work with people who, who suffer from major, massive. I was Liverpool's activities coordinator in the mental health directorate, and I worked with people who were institutionalised for 40, 50, 60, 60 years by the, the, the mental hospitals. And when they closed the mental hospitals, they were all put back in the community where they didn't really want to be and, and the community didn't really want them there. So this is, it's called Sanctuary. And it's about having a place in your head that you can go to for some respite and some peace of mind. So it's called sanctuary. I have an inner shed gardened inside my head, a refuge from a life of toil, a place to go where I can foil the pressures of society that want to clip a part of me and side me down, turn back and prune. This inner shed keeps 
And in this shed inside my head sits empty cups of metaphor, sown seeds upon a barren floor, green wellingtons and cycle spokes, tomato plants and artichokes, spilled flower pots of similes, worn files of vice and dungarees, and in my shed inside this head, emotional cobwebs now have spread to hang in silent poetic thread, the germ that needs to put to bed, the roving wheelbarrow and squeaky wheel, filled both with genius and potato peel, a compost heaped in dung and rose through dusty bench and book composed, and in this shed inside this head, a harbor safe from raging sea to anchor words of poetry, to grow the verse and stem the tide of writer's block insecticide. And with this head inside this shed, brush and paint, jar turpentine, soil and feed the climbing vine. Lawn mower parked and rake away, a bolt hold shield from all that's gray, that beds the truth in potted clay, for in this shed that shelters me, protecting soil's uncertainty, grows life and light and legacy of all that's worth inside of me. Tremendous, my absolute tremendous. It's both been good there, Terry, today, but your free piece you read for us, spoke labelers. Each one's been completely different, as you said before. Yeah. And that last one is, yeah, it's a great way of finishing off today, that, mate. It's been a Thank pleasure. You. Absolute you, pleasure, mate, having you on, mate. So. Really enjoyed it, yeah. I can't believe it. The four hours have just flown by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's the outtakes I've had from before, and obviously with Terry's stories, honestly, right? <laughs> Most of which are unprintable, that's all I'm going to say, on spoken <laughs> label. So we want to get you want to get the real juicy stories, get in touch with Terry, that's all I'm going to say, right? <laughs> anyway, listen, mate, seriously, hang around. I do need to speak to you off mic, just a cup, sort of cup of bits and pieces out before we wrap today. But that's it today, guys and girls. Spoken labels. Landing out. Terry Caffrey signing out. So, as you and thanks, thanks to you and thanks to everybody who's listening. I want to. I really mean this. I want to wish you a merry, peaceful, and happy Christmas. I get an opportunity to say it is all about life. You can't make the sun shine, but you can move out of the shade. So just make, just make that that effort and have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Love and best wishes to everyone. Thank you, guys. Indeed. Right, as the great Don Cullis says, Impact Wrestling. Stay safe and stay over. We'll see you all next time. Spoken, mate.